Let's turn together in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. And we're going to read from verse 21 to verse 35. Matthew 18, 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said to him, O oh, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desired me. Shouldst thou not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was angry and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Let's pray again. O Father in heaven, Lord, as we approach this powerful saying of Jesus, this powerful parable of Jesus, of your Son, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of you. Lord, that this morning as we ponder these words and, and Lord, as we search out your heart, Lord, that you'd give us insight and understanding for we know that understanding comes from you. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you that the words that we read are living words, they're spirit in life, and that they speak directly to each of us. Help us to see that you speak to us. Help us to tune our ears to listen to you this morning and hear what you have to say. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week... We looked at verses 15 to 17, and we talked about how we are to reconcile with a brother who sins against us. If someone sins against you, if a brother sins against you, Jesus teaches us how we are to be reconciled to that brother. What he teaches us is that forgiveness seeks reconciliation, and that the way of forgiveness with God is that the one who is offended, the one who sinned against, is the one who's actually supposed to initiate that reconciliation. That was a radical thing for Jesus to say, and as radical in the first century as it is today. If you are sinned against, Jesus says, this is how you're supposed to deal with it. You go be reconciled. But of course, in order for you to want to do that and not you know, just stand in the corner and pout, you have to have love and forgiveness in your heart towards the one who sinned against you. So this is God's way of forgiveness, Jesus teaches us. Forgiveness seeks reconciliation. If you forgive, you initiate reconciliation. But what we didn't talk about last week was the question, how often is your brother allowed to sin against you 
and you are to initiate reconciliation. How often? I mean, is there some limit? Is there some cap, right? I mean, okay, I get it, Jesus. If my brother sins against me, I should forgive and pursue this brother in love. But is there a limit? What if he sins against me seven times in a day? What if he sins against me more than that? Surely, Lord, you would permit us a limit, right? And this is Peter's, this is Peter's concern in verse 21. And this is, G, this is Peter's question. So Peter asks him this very question. Peter's thinking, there's got to be a limit. Otherwise, we'll always be per- pursuing reconciliation. <laughs> Maybe that's the point. So Peter says to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Now you see here that Peter is thinking that he's being generous. Peter is thinking that he's being generous. Okay, seven seems to be a big figure in Peter's mind. In, in the rabbinical teaching, which Peter would have known in his day and still exists today, the rabbis taught that the limit is three. This was their interpretation uh, from some passages in the Old Testament. That a person could sin against you three times and you are to forgive them. But if they sin against you more than three times, you don't have to forgive them. That's the limit. The rabbis taught this. The rabbis saw this as merciful. Three times is a lot, they would think. But, here's their mindset. If they persist in their sin against you, that clearly shows that they're not repentant. And if they're not repentant, they don't deserve forgiveness. Have you ever heard people talk like this before? They say, well, if you really repent, you wouldn't keep doing it. So if you keep doing it, it means you don't really repent, which means... Why should you be forgiven by God or by me, right? People use this analogy all the time. If someone comes and punches you in the face and says, I'm sorry, they punch you in the face again, they're not really sorry. So you don't need to forgive them. This is the, this is the mindset of limits. Limits mean that forgiveness is uh, merited. You, are, you have to be worthy of forgiveness. Forgiveness is something you deserve, And maybe after three times, you still deserve it. Maybe you're just making mistakes three times. But after four, no, it's definitely something that's uh, uh, persistent. They're not repentant. They're not sorry for it. You shouldn't forgive them because they don't deserve it. So whenever we talk about putting limits on forgiveness, we're talking about not forgiving by grace. We're talking about forgiving basically by um, the worthiness of the person. Now, this is... Interesting, because Jesus taught us, as we saw last week, that if the person isn't repentant, you pursue them, right? You pursue them to be reconciled to them because they they are not repentant. If he sins against you, go to him. But if he doesn't listen to you, take two more. I mean, the guy is certainly not saying, oh, I'm sorry. And Jesus is saying you forgive and you pursue. So sadly, Peter missed the point. And thinking himself to be more generous than the Pharisees, he proposed a more generous figure, seven. He's still in the same system of forgiveness being based upon the worthiness of the person you're forgiving. But he proposes a more generous figure. A.B. Bruce writes, Poor Peter, in his ingenious attempt at the magnanimous, he was like a child standing on his tiptoe to make himself as tall as his father or climbing to the top of a hill to get near the skies. Peter thinks he's being gracious. <laughs> How little he understood about grace. Alfred Plummer wrote, The man who asks such a question does not really know what forgiveness is. If you ask questions about limits, then it shows you don't even know what forgiveness is. So Jesus' answer must have shocked him, as it shocks us still today. The answer that Jesus gives is as shocking today as it's ever been. Seventy times seven. In the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way. Peter says, how often? Seven? Jesus says, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. (laughs) (laughs) Seventy times seven. Seventy times seven is 490. 
If your brother sins against you 490 times, you're to forgive. 490 times. Let's put that into one day. Now, if a brother were to sin against you 490 times in 24 hours, that would be 20 sins, if my math is correct, and my math is often not correct. That would be 20 sins per hour. So every hour, every 60 minutes, your brother would sin against you 20 times. Jesus would say you still are to forgive. 60 minutes uh, divided by 20 sins is one sin every three minutes. One sin every three minutes. I think I'm correct, right? Okay, good. (laughs) Jesus says you're still to forgive. One sin every three minutes. And we're not to think that Jesus is saying, well, but one sin every two minutes. (laughs) That's not forgivable. (laughs) The point here, even though I was getting specific, is that Jesus is saying we are to forgive without limits. We are to forgive without limits. 70 times 7 simply means infinite. No limit. And if you're thinking in terms of limits, then you don't understand what forgiveness is. Because forgiveness and love is not about quantity, as we talked about already before, last week. Love is not about quantity. You don't say, I love this person because I helped them five times. I forgave them seven times. That's not, what, that's not the language of love. Love is a quality, and it's not a quantity. And if you have love in your heart towards someone, then numbers are no object. If you have love towards someone, then you forgive, and 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 you forgive 70 times 7 infi- on to infinity. If you love someone. Have you ever said to someone when you're angry with them, you always do this to me. And you feel justified in being angry because you always do this. Always. Meaning, it's not sometimes, it's always. And because it's always, I'm mad. (laughs) Have you ever said, you never see it my way. Never. Now, if you saw it my way, sometimes I wouldn't be so mad. But the fact that you never, it's always this ongoing thing, I'm angry. (laughs) And I have a right to be mad. I've had enough. Have you ever said that? (laughs) I'm sick and tired of you always doing this. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is showing us those statements which we all make are not statements of love. And they're sinful. And Jesus does away with them. Jesus does away with them. Love does away with them. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is patient. The question is, how patient? Love is kind. How kind is love? Love does not keep any records of wrongs. So not some records of wrongs. Love does not keep records of wrongs. Love is patient, infinitely. Love is kind, without limit. This is what love is. Jesus needs to show us and show Peter what love is and what forgiveness is. Now, there's another place in the Bible where this exact phrase, 70 times 7, is found. Can you remember? So I think when Jesus said 70 times 7, it it would have caused an echo of a remembrance in a Jewish mind and hopefully in a Christian mind as well. Remember where this exact phrase, 70 times 7, is found. It's found in the book of Genesis, chapter 4. If you'd like, you can turn there, but you don't need to. Actually, yeah, let's turn there. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 24. Now Cain killed Abel. And when Cain killed Abel, he said, anyone who finds me is going to kill me. And God protected Cain and said that if anyone kills Cain, then they're going to be avenged sevenfold. Now, down the genealogical line, we come to a guy named Lamech. And Lamech kills somebody. 
And Lamech gets a bright idea. He says, well, Cain killed somebody, and God said he'd be avenged seven times. So if anyone kills Lamech, then he's going to be avenged 70 times seven. If you look at the Greek translation of the Hebrew, it is the exact same expression Jesus used. 70 times seven. And what that means is infinite. There's no limit. If you avenge me, if you kill me, then you're going to be avenged, and there will be no limit to this revenge. This is what family feuds are all about, okay? There is no limit to unforgiveness. Infinite revenge, feuds. If you kill me, we're going to kill you, and then you're going to kill me, and then we're going to kill that guy, and then he's going to kill my cousin, and my cousin's going to kill your dad, and your dad's going to, and just goes on and on, because that's, there's no forgiveness there. It just goes on and on. So here we have the opposite of what Jesus said, and Jesus says the opposite of what Lamech said. And as A.H. McNeil writes, the unlimited revenge of primitive man has now given place to the unlimited forgiveness of Christ. Turn back to Matthew 18. Unlimited forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, the fact that Peter said what he said meant that he needed to be taught about forgiveness. Peter did not understand forgiveness. It's one thing to use words. It's another thing to understand what those words mean. People that don't understand forgiveness will talk about forgiveness. And they might even forgive three times. Is it really forgiveness, though? Or they might forgive seven times. But if there's a limit, then they don't understand what forgiveness is. He needs to be taught about forgiveness's nature, the nature of forgiveness, the power of forgiveness, and the place forgiveness has in God's world and in the reality of God. And so to teach Peter about forgiveness, Jesus gives this parable of the unmerciful servant. The parable of the unmerciful servant. And I want to make it very clear at the beginning. I want to suggest something about this parable. That the parable of the unmerciful servant, the point of it, is not, the point of this parable is not to scare men into forgiving each other. Did you, when we read this, did it get a little uncomfortable? Some do. <laughs> The point of the parable is not to scare men into forgiving each other. But the point of the parable is to teach men about the, na the nature and the meaning of forgiveness. I want to suggest that verse 35 is not the point of the parable. 35 is part of the parable. It's part of what he's teaching. But there's a deeper lesson that Jesus is giving than fear. The end of the parable is not, if you don't forgive, you're going to get it. Alfred Edersheim writes this, This parable follows on the exhibition of a self-righteous, unmerciful spirit, which would reckon up how often we should forgive, forgetful of our own need of absolute and unlimited pardon at the hand of God. See, this, is, this was Peter. He didn't understand forgiveness. He, he didn't understand God's forgiveness. He didn't understand what true forgiveness is. Self-righteous and unmerciful spirit, unaware of our need. In this parable, we need to see something. When it comes to understanding forgiveness, we all need to understand something. And when we understand it, when we see what Jesus wants us to see, then we'll be changed. And we will no longer talk in terms of limits. James Denny writes this, Jesus teaches here that the experience of being forgiven, even when it is only one human being who forgives another, and that is truly forgives, it should, or ought to be, or is, the most powerful of all motives in the life of the forgiven. Nothing, as a matter of fact, strikes so deep into the human heart. Nothing evokes penitence so tender, so humble, and so unreserved. 
Nothing carries with it such joy and such sorrow in a word such inspiring and regenerating power. How many of you have ever been forgiven, truly forgiven? Does it do something to you? Have you, have you experienced what forgiveness does? I remember one brother, he was telling me how he sinned against his mother and he was frightened that his mom was not going to forgive him because it was a bad sin and he was afraid that his mother wasn't going to forgive him. But when his mother forgave him freely, he was shocked. He couldn't believe it. He says, really? You mean you forgive me? And he said, through this experience of being forgiven, I realized my mother loved me. And when I realized she loved me, I was overwhelmed by love for her. And I wanted just to clean the whole house for her. That's what forgiveness does. Brothers and sisters, being forgiven is the greatest power of all to forgive. To be changed from a self-righteous person to a man of forgiveness. Being loved is the greatest power of all to love. When you're forgiven, like this brother told me, it shows that you're loved. And when you're loved, you're changed. What unforgiving men need is to see not fear, but forgiveness. What they need to see is the forgiveness that comes from God. Then they will not ask questions anymore like Peter did. So let's look at this parable. The parable of the unmerciful servant. We find here a king who has some authority. And this king has servants, and the king wants to settle the accounts. There's lots of debts, and the king's coming to collect. And there's the servant here that the parable focuses on. A servant, in verse 24, who owes 10,000 talents. This is the, the focus. This person is the focus of the parable. He owes 10,000 talents. Now, here's an interesting point. The talent was in those days the highest form of currency. There was no form of currency higher than a talent. So when you hear the word talent, that's the top currency. There's nothing above that. And the word 10,000 in the Greek myrias is, interestingly enough, the highest Greek numerical. You can't, there's no other single word for a word higher than that. If you're going to go higher than that, you've got to combine lesser words. So Jesus uses the highest unit of currency and the highest numerical value. He makes a vivid point. This is maximum debt, okay? Maximum. This isn't just a big figure. By the words Jesus uses, he's saying this guy has a maximum debt. 10,000 talents. Doesn't get higher than that. In today's figure... That would be approximately $3 billion in today's figure. $3 billion. It was a lot of money. So you can imagine the heat. No cookie sale is going to work here. <laughs> now in verse 25 to 27, when the man comes to collect the debt, and clearly the, this servant is not able to pay this debt, we see the servant fall down on his knees and he begs for more time. He says, be patient with me and I'll pay you everything. He asks for more time. And he says, I'll pay you all if you give me more time. And to his surprise, what does the Lord or the king do? Does the Lord or the king give him more time to pay? So what he asked for was more time to pay. And what the king gives him is a total pardon. And why does he give him it according to verse 27? And here we see why people forgive. Forgiveness is not something unrelated to this. And that is, he was moved with compassion. Or he loved him. He had compassion on him, mercy on him, pity on him. And because he cared for the guy and had compassion on the guy, he forgave him. And so you see why we forgive or the connection between compassion, love, and forgiveness. One flows out of the other. Forgiveness that is not based upon love isn't real forgiveness at all. I don't know what it is. 
And so we see here a magnificently beautiful thing, an enormous thing. He owes the highest debt that could be owed, and he freely forgives him by compassion. Isn't that an amazing thing? So there was no, he could never, the king couldn't have said, well, I'm going to have mercy on this guy because I know somebody else who has a bigger debt. He's not, he's not the worst case. This is the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. And he freely forgives them all the debt because of compassion. Amazing. Beautiful. Enormous. But in the next verse... The servant leaves. He's just been forgiven of the maximum debt. And he finds a fellow servant, one like him, who is in debt. Or one as he was, who was in debt. And what this guy owes him is 100 denarii. Now the denarii in those days was not the lowest figure there was. The denarii, one denarii, was a day's wage a day's wage, and he owed him a hundred days' wages. A hundred denarii. So a day's wage today would be, obviously there's some variety, but we're talking somewhere between a hundred and two hundred dollars maybe for an average person. So what that, what that means is he owed him probably around ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars. He didn't owe him twenty dollars, he owed him ten thousand dollars. Now, compared to the maximum debt, 10,003 billion, it's nothing, right? Compared to what he'd been forgiven of, it's nothing. And in verse 29 and 30, the servant has no compassion on him. And because he has no compassion on him and no love for this person, he does not forgive him. He grabs him by the collar. He says, pay me what you owe me. He doesn't have it. He says, give me, give me some time and I'll give you whatever, you, I'll give you all the money. I will pay you everything if you give me some time. And he doesn't give him time. Not only does he not forgive him his debt, he doesn't give him time to even pay his debt. And he throws him in prison. No compassion, no forgiveness. Ugly. So we have beautiful and we have ugly. Now there are some people who think that the unmerciful servant must have been a high official because the debt that he had was unrealistic. Okay? They think no one is, no one is, no normal individual person is going to amount a debt three billion. That's unrealistic. So, so the servant must have been some high official. He must have been some man in the king's cohort or the cabinet. But in that case, brothers and sisters, and I suggest that's false, Jesus isn't giving us a humanly realistic parable. And we're not to say, oh, it's, Three billion, Mitsumini was a high official. Because what that would do is it's saying basically, well, yeah, a three billion debt would be normal for that guy. That'd be a normal debt. And then the debt that the other guy owes him would be a normal debt for an average Joe. An average Joe would owe about 10,000. A high official would owe about three, million, three billion. So basically we're talking about a normal debt versus a normal debt. And Jesus' point of the parable is if the, if the king forgave a normal debt, why wouldn't then he forgive a normal debt? But in that case, why not just simplify it and make them both average Joes? He owes him 10,000, he owes him 10,000, he forgives him of the 10,000, so he should forgive him of the 10,000. That's not the point. Brothers and sisters, I suggest that's false speculation and distracts from the point. The point is, is that a man who's forgiven an enormous debt doesn't forgive a little debt. Not an not a equal debt to the other guy. And in that case, the parable is unrealistic, and it's supposed to be, humanly speaking, unrealistic. Humanly speaking, a man doesn't usually amass $3 billion. There's several unrealistic things in this parable. Number one, as I just said, a man is not likely to acquire such a huge debt. Number two, it's unrealistic that you're going to find a creditor so merciful that he'd forgive such a huge debt. And three, it's unlikely that you're going to find a man who's been forgiven of such a huge debt who wouldn't forgive a little debt. This is an unrealistic parable. And we're not supposed to try to explain it in terms of realism. However, humanly speaking, this is an unrealistic parable. But when we look at it 
from the perspective of God's world and divine realities, this parable becomes very realistic. Because in God's world, our debt is that big. Humanly speaking, yeah, you're probably not going to amass $3 billion in your lifetime. But in God's world, our sin against him is the maximum debt. It really is. It's that bad. And Jesus is showing us God's perspective and his perspective of sin. Yeah, in God's world, that's what it's like. You owe 10,000 talents. Can't can't be higher than that. Maximum. And in God's world, God is that merciful. God forgives the maximum debt. He forgives sin that couldn't be any higher. Yes, unrealistic in human terms, but not unrealistic in God's terms. And of course, lastly, in God's world, men are that unmerciful. In the world of divine, un, in, in the world of divine realities, those who have been forgiven much often don't forgive others of their petty sins against them. So in this parable, Jesus is showing us life as God sees it, even though to a human ear that would be, whoa, this is a crazy parable. That's how God sees it. Sin against God is great. And compared to it, man's sin against man is small. We think we're so important. We think we're so important. When someone sins against us, we say, how dare you sin against me? And we don't realize that our sin against God is 10,000 talents and our sin against man is 10,000 denarii. Now it's important that we don't see the second figure as a trifle. 10,000 denarii is not a trifle, is it? $10,000 is not a trifle. It's important that you don't quickly read this parable and think, ah, he owes him a couple pennies. No, he owes him a sizable debt. Sizable enough to throw the guy into jail. And it's important that we don't see one another's sins against each other as trifles. When you sin against another person, that's not a trifle. And when another person sins against you, that's not a trifle. Our sin against each other is real and it's serious, but compared to our sin against God, it's nothing. Right? Jesus is not teaching us that we are to forgive each other's sins because each other's sins are trifles. He's not saying, Jacob, forgive Bonnie because Bonnie's sins is just trifles. It doesn't matter. He's not saying that. Bonnie's sins are serious. Eli's sins are serious. Peter's sins are serious. But compared to our sins against God, they're nothing. When you have the divine perspective of what your sin really is, you see that their sins is nothing. And we're to forgive each other's sins in the light of God's forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, when we realize that we have been forgiven and what we have been forgiven of, then we are empowered to forgive others without limit. When we realize that we've been forgiven by God and of what? That's what God's forgiveness does. That's what God's love does. But only when it's understood that it's real and that our debt against him was serious. This is the lesson Peter needed to learn. Peter says, well, how often am I supposed to sit, uh, forgive a brother who sins against me? Seven times. Surely seven times is the limit because then he wouldn't do it. And he's saying, Peter, you don't even understand how bad a sinner you are. You don't even understand how God has forgiven you so much. That's why you're talking in terms of quantity. You need to learn this. The rabbis need to learn this. We all need to learn this. Because when you learn it, when you see the forgiveness of God towards you, then you have the power, you're empowered to forgive others without limit. So then, if that's true, then the question must be asked, what then happened with the unmerciful servant? 
How could the unmerciful servant be forgiven of $3 billion, walk out and grab the guy by the throat and throw him in prison? Why? If that's true, if by seeing the forgiveness of your sins and of your debt, you're empowered. Why? And the simple and the obvious answer, brothers and sisters, is that the unmerciful, unmerciful servant did not understand. Well, the question is, what didn't he understand? Did he not understand that he had been forgiven of $3 billion? Yes, he did. In the parable itself, the king takes it for granted that he understood that. He says, I forgave you, in verse 32, all that debt. He knew he had been forgiven. He's not that stupid. So what didn't he understand? It was impossible for him not to have known that the king said, you don't need to pay it. But here's what he didn't understand. And you can see it clearly in the parable. The unmerciful servant did not understand the enormity of his debt and the magnitude of what the king had done for him. Oh, he knew that the king forgave him of $3 billion. But he didn't really grasp how big a debt that was and how beautiful and enormous that forgiveness was. He did not understand the love that the man had for him shown in this amazing act of forgiveness. And here's the key. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. Wait a second. <laughs> That's stupid. You really think you're going to pay back $3 billion? 10,000 talents? That shows that this man doesn't think that his debt is really that big. He sounds like the other servant who said, I'll pay you back the 10000 that you owe me. No, that's more realistic, right? $10,000, okay, give me some time, I'll pay it back. $3 billion, it's a maximum that you can't pay it. And he says, I'll do it. I'll pay it. He didn't plead for mercy, he pled for time. I can pay thee all, all. And look at verse 32. The king says, oh, you wicked servant, I forgave you, and here's the emphasis, all that debt, all that three, $3 billion, I forgave you. And he didn't, he didn't see it. For him, it was a trifle. He took it for granted. $3 billion, he took it for granted. The king's mercy took it for granted. Not seen as an amazing thing. No big deal. No big deal. And so, of course, he'd walk out of there and grab the guy by the throat and say, give me what you owe me. He had no mercy in his heart because he had not apprehended the mercy of the king. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 10, the prophet Isaiah says this, let favor be shown to the wicked, and yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly, and he will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Now what that is basically meaning, and I know it sounds strange to Christian ears, because all we talk about is God's grace is what changes us when God shows grace to the wicked, and Isaiah is not contradicting that. But what Isaiah is pointing out is this. When you show grace and favor and compassion and mercy and forgiveness to a wicked person who doesn't understand what you're doing, who has no, he doesn't apprehend it, he doesn't realize you're showing him grace, but yet you show him grace, he won't learn righteousness. And in the land of uprightness, he'll deal unjustly because he won't be beholding the majesty of God and what God has done for him. It's kind of like what God did for Israel for so many years. God blessed them and brought them into the land and gave them so many things. And the whole time, they didn't understand the, the enormity of this grace. To them, it was taken for granted. Yeah, we are a great people. So, of course, we deserve this land. And no, we're not going to get thrown into Babylon. We're good people. And that's why it always rains all the time, because we're doing everything. And they just take it for granted that because I'm such a good person, everything should be coming my way, and that's the way it works. And so you don't see the enormity of the grace of God shown against the enormity of your unworthiness. 
And when favor is shown to someone who doesn't understand, they don't learn. When we as Christians say that grace changes us, that means that grace changes us when we get it. <laughs> when we understand it. When, it when, we, when we grasp the fact that it is grace. It isn't something that I'm deserving. It's something that I don't deserve. And it's amazing grace. How many parents know that you've given lots of blessings to your kids and they take it for granted? They don't realize that you don't owe it to them. They didn't, they're not worthy of it. You just do it because you love them. But when they get those things, they just take it for granted. You show favor to the wicked and they don't learn righteousness. However, as they get older, they begin to appreciate it. Why? Because they're like, wow, that's costing you a lot. You're doing that because you love me. I, it's not because I, it, it, you have to. In fact, I just, man, I treated you so bad my, my whole young life, and you have just blessed me. Wow. And then all of a sudden, it starts to change them when they understand grace, that it is grace. And so it is with us people. Jesus dies on the cross for the whole world. People say, oh, no big deal. You tell someone, did you know that God wants to give you eternal life? Oh, great. I was looking for eternal life. Where is it? I, I, I'm supposed to have that, right? Because, you know, I'm a really good person. Oh, thank you, God. Okay, on with the next. I don't realize what has been done. And all of God's blessings that are poured out on people, they just take it for granted. Here's the key. Here's the secret to forgiveness. In God's world, the failure to see our sins for what they are, and that is that they are maximum that they couldn't be worse, that we've sinned against God and our sins against him are infinitely worse than other sins against us. This is the root of our ungratefulness for God's mercy and our implacability our, or our unforgiveness. Otherwise, we would be infinitely forgiving. As long as you think when you sin against God, all I can make up for it See, this is what most people in the world think. And even as Christians, we're tempted to think that way of the unmerciful servant. Give me some time and I'll pay you all. Whenever you think that, oh, I sinned against God. Okay, God, I'm going to make up for it. I sinned against God. Okay, God, I'm going to do 10 good deeds now. Oh, God, I'm going to try better. I'm going to do better. As long as you think that your sins aren't really that bad and you can make up for them and you can pay God back, the way of works, the way of self-righteousness, then you will always be ungrateful and implacable. When you see my sins are more than I can bear, my sin is maximum evil against God, and then you realize that he forgives you because he loves you and has compassion on you, that's the key to infinite forgiveness. Seeing your sins and his mercy. We also need to see something. That this parable is not an evangelical parable. This parable is not preaching the gospel. I want you to notice some differences between this parable and the gospel. First of all, the gospel is a message of God's forgiveness toward us. In the parable, we find the servant asking God or asking the king for forgiveness. The gospel is a message of forgiveness. God has mercy for you. You don't need to ask him. In the gospel, we respond to God. In the parable, the king is responding to the unmerciful servant. In the gospel, God forgives all of our sins, including unforgiveness, which is a sin. In this parable, he's forgiving the debt but once the man is seen to be unforgiving, he casts him into prison. In the gospel, forgiveness is given by grace. That is, is totally unmerited. God forgives you, not because you deserve it, not because you've worked for it, not because you're worthy of it. God forgives you freely because he loves you. And it's by grace that you're saved and forgiven. In this parable, clearly the forgiveness was on the basis of what the man did. Because once he was not merciful, then the king 
took back the forgiveness and threw him into jail. And we shouldn't be surprised by this because the problem of unforgiveness is not a Christian problem merely. It's a problem for all men. And the, and the issue of God's mercy and God's forgiveness is not merely a Christian problem, but it's a problem for all men. For example, in, Psalms, in Psalm chapter 103, verse 10, the Bible says that God does not treat the people of this world the way that they deserve. You have not dealt with us according to our iniquities. Psalm 130, verse 3 says, Lord, if you marked our iniquities, who would stand? Lamentations 3.22 says, it's because of God's great mercies that we aren't consumed. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus said, God sends his rain and causes his sun to rise upon the evil and upon the good. God is giving goodness and mercy to everyone. It's not just a Christian issue. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, do you despise the goodness and the kindness and the patience of God that's being shown to you? Don't you realize that his goodness and his kindness is meant to lead you unto repentance? All men are involved here. God shows his mercy to all men. And all men, therefore, ought to be merciful, right? All men ought to realize wow, I've sinned against God so bad and yet look at the blessings that he gives me and he hasn't destroyed me and it's because of his great mercies I'm not consumed. And therefore, in light of that, I should forgive and be merciful to my brothers. If you don't, then you bring in unto yourself greater condemnation for failing to love and to forgive men. This is why the teaching of forgiveness we should understand as Christians isn't an exclusively Christian issue. It also pertains to the law. This is why you find Jesus teaching, teaching it in the Sermon on the Mount. Do good to those who persecute you if you want to be like God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching men about the law. And if you want to be right before God by what you do, then you better have a merciful heart towards men. Right? Could you imagine Adam and Eve, they sinned against God and he kicked them out of the garden, but then he clothed them. And he was merciful to them. He didn't kill them. Well, if they had turned around and started being unmerciful to other men, even though it's not the gospel, they would have shown themselves to be guilty of sin. Under the law, a man is not righteous if he's unmerciful and if he's unforgiving. And brothers and sisters, I want to also make this point. If verse 35 were true of the gospel... And I, I believe verse 35 is definitely a true statement when it comes to the law. If you don't forgive, then God won't forgive you. But that's not a statement of the gospel. But if it was, I want to suggest to you, none of us would be forgiven. None of us. And think about it. If God does not forgive unless you forgive, then why did he send Jesus? Why did he pursue reconciliation? Why did he initiate why did he die for our sins? Is not the cross of Christ, is not the blood of Christ a revelation of God's compassion and God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness towards sinful men? So if he did not have forgiveness towards unmerciful people, he would not have sent Christ. Because Christ is not just some technicality that opens the way for God to forgive. Christ is the revelation of God's forgiveness and mercy and grace. So if God's sitting back saying, I want to send my son to save you all, but you've got to be merciful to each other, then none of us would be saved. The fact that God sent his son into the world is because he is merciful to the unmerciful. He's forgiving to the implacable. And it's actually understanding that and being forgiven by God that actually will change you and make you a forgiving and a loving person, when you realize that it isn't about your performance. And God isn't waiting for you to love one another before he'll love you. And so the gospel takes the truths of, the, of this very parable on forgiveness and makes it even more beautiful. Because in the gospel, we see our sin even clearer. 
In the cross, we see what our sin is to God. In the gospel, we see the mercy of God even greater. He's not now just giving us rain. He's not just sending his son on sinners. He's not just not killing us. He's dying for our sins and giving us eternal life by his grace. In the gospel, we see everything here magnified, our sin and his mercy, and the cross proclaims these things the clearest of all. And you see that it's a message, an announcement of total forgiveness from God to you. Brothers and sisters, when you see this, understanding your sin and seeing his mercy revealed in the gospel and in the cross of Jesus Christ who died for your sins, then you have the key and the power to be a forgiving person. Not to forgive because of fear, but because of love, which is the the apostles' doctrine now, isn't it? The apostles never said, forgive or you won't be forgiven. But the apostles said, forgive one another because God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. The gospel gives us the key to forgiveness, not of fear, but out of love. So in closing, how often should we forgive when someone sins against us? How often do you think? When's the last straw? When can we say, I've had enough? That's an ignorant question. Ignorant of our sin, ignorant of God's grace, ignorant of what forgiveness is. And we as Christians know what forgiveness is. If we are Christians, we've been forgiven because we've come to the cross, seen our sin, realized I can't pay it all back, and we come to Christ for our salvation. Christians, we have the secret to forgiveness. We've seen reality. It's now for us just to walk in reality towards one another. Because he who's forgiven much will love much. He who knows the gospel holds the secret to 70 times 7. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are amazed at your forgiveness towards us. Thank you for showing us what forgiveness is and that forgiveness is not about quantity. Father, help Help us to see and, and bring the cross before our eyes daily and to see our sin as maximum and to see that there's no way out but through your grace and to see the enormity of your grace. Help us to see this, Lord, so that we might be forgiving people, not out of fear but love. Thank you for this amazing truth. We love you, Lord, for loving us, for giving us of such a massive debt that we could not pay. Help us as Christians to see we're forgiven. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if there's anyone here who, Lord, doesn't know that they're forgiven, help them to see that you are forgiving because of Jesus Christ. All their sins can be washed away. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.